What's the first question we have? When do you remember feeling afraid of dark? When do you remember, or when was the last time you remember feeling the fear of darkness? Anybody had an experience? I did. When we first moved here, and everyone was telling us, be careful about this, be careful about that, and make sure you lock this, you know, all, all that, you know, I was fearful about peeking out our front door to go into our garage through the patio, and, you know, I soon got over that, but the dark presented a whole different uh, environment for me, so it was a little more fearful, and Okay. Got over it. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> Amen. Anybody else? What about when the power goes off? Anybody have that phobia? Oh. Okay. I woke up one morning. I have this generator that comes on when the power goes off. Okay. But I woke up one morning early into a yard. Generator wasn't on, neither was the electricity. And all my roll downs were down. Oh boy. And of course, the phones, I had a cell phone that was my only, you know, and I was, I was, I didn't need to get out of my house, but I wanted to get out. You could blame you. So I called the man that services our generator. He says, oh, Miss Penner, I'm so sorry. He says, it'll take me at least an hour before I can get there. Wow. And he says, I've, 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 I've committed to this other place. I said, oh, okay. So I thought, oh, dear Lord, I cannot stay in this house. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a prisoner in this house, you know. And so I called Michael. And it just so happened. He says, oh, maybe he says, I'll be there uh, in a few minutes because I'm not far. But just as he drove in, the power <laughs> came back on. The power came back on. And I was ashamed of myself. <laughs> but I still was, I was in a, I hadn't had a panic attack in many days. I was in the midst. A real, a real one. So okay. But the dark has a way of affecting us in, a, in an unusual way. I mean, we know it, it gets all dark every night, right? But that doesn't bother us. But if the power goes out or you're in a place where the darkness comes on suddenly, then you're in a panic. Look at the point at the top of page 22. What does it say? Jesus is the light who does what? The way that we should go. And so we need to keep, keep that thought in mind because that's what the whole lesson is all about, focusing on today. Uh, the setting, before we get to the passage, or the point, uh, the Bible meets life point. Uh, the setting, early excitement over Jesus and his miraculous work had begun to wane, it had begun to fade. People were not as excited as they were before. His teachings were challenging the people's beliefs and many ceased to be enamored with him. They were not too excited with him anymore. And even as he clarified who he was and what he had come to do, people started to get kind of you know, out of it, but we're not into this anymore. 
included in this description of his character and nature was the fact that he is the light of the world. Bible meets light, page 22. Someone read it, please. Late one Saturday night, my five-year-old son accompanied me on a quick trip, trip to our church. It was pitch black outside as well as inside the building. The light switches were across the foyer from the entry. As we shuffled along in the dark, moving towards the switches, someone touched my hand. I screamed. My son squeezed my hand hard and said, Don't worry, Daddy, it's me. What a relief. When you are surrounded by darkness, it's good to know someone is with you. It's even better to have someone turn on the lights. As we'll see in John 8, Jesus is always with us, no matter how dark light we see. And he does more than turn on the light. Jesus himself is the light of the world. Amen. So we get the light with us all the time, no matter how dark it gets. Okay, let's look at what the Bible says. Uh, someone read John uh, chapter 8 on page 23, please. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. Just that one verse. Then Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now we need to keep that thought in mind because there are a lot of people who are walking in darkness today. And uh, we are responsible for making it clear to them that there is a light that they can follow. But look at the two definitions we have there. One for light of the world and one for darkness. What do they say? You see that? Jesus does what? He illuminates the path we are called to follow. So you don't need a flashlight. You've got Jesus who is the light. He's the one who illuminates the path. He works just as much better than the flashlight. And then the darkness. The antithesis of light. Here, darkness is used as a metaphorical equivalent in religious language to, to evil, immorality, and other spiritual forces aligned against us. And we know that quite well, because we're often talking about the darkness of evil and all that stuff that's going on around us, especially in the silly season, right? That's what they call the political season, right? Both in the United States and here, we are now going through what they call the silly season, where darkness uh, is becoming even more prevalent when we think back of all the promises that were made the last time. Okay, question number two. Where do, we, where do you see evidence of darkness in today's world? Where do you see darkness, evidence of darkness in today's world? What are some examples of darkness in the world today as we move about and have our way? <laughs> the word wasn't out of my mouth good enough, right? <laughs> okay, the government. Okay, we see it here, and uh, we see it also in the United States. More more prevalent in the United States with all this campaign and stuff going on. Where else do we see darkness prevalent in our world today? Education. Okay, that's another good one. Uh, especially our system has been broken for a long time, and they don't seem to think it's broken. So they don't feel it needs to be fixed. Where else do we see darkness evident? The neighborhoods. Okay, no matter where you live, you're going to find that there is darkness uh, in your neighborhood. 
Um, I was watching a program uh, the other night. I think it was what it was Dateline, and uh, this lady uh, got killed. And what was interesting, she lived in a gated community, and she was viciously murdered. You know, and I said, "Wow, you know, that's kind of strange because people move into gated communities so that they can be safe." You know, and uh, I, I, I talking about that renovation the other day. The, the place is gated, and. Um, I gave Kevin the, the gate clicker to get in, to, so he could get in and out freely. And um, well, I didn't give it to him. And uh, he went there one Saturday, and he called me, and uh, he says, "I can't get in. The gate is closed." You know, now the gate is open every day, every day, all day. You know, so I figured, yeah, no big deal. It's going to be open. But apparently, they close the gate on Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays. All right, so we had to go track him down. But the, the whole idea is you've got a, a, a gated community, and that's because people want to be safe, right? Okay. Let's look at, consider what uh, Jesus is saying in this first verse that we have looked at. Let's look at uh, the paragraphs on page Yeah, the, the which page is that? Twenty-four. Okay, go ahead. Someone read that, please. Jesus had been teaching. Got it. Jesus had been teaching in the temple complex during the festival of tabernacles. See John seven two fourteen. The morning after the last day of the festival, Jesus went again temple and began to teach. As he taught, the religious leaders brought to him who had been born in adultery. They did so at dawn. As the sun came up, the people would have been coming out of darkened houses to experience the fresh light of a new day. This helped set the stage for Jesus' incredible pronouncement. I am the light of the world. Notice Jesus did not claim to provide light to the world. He declared himself to be the light of the world. The concept and symbolism of light is very important in the Bible. Light is used as a symbol or reference for salvation in both Old and New Testaments. When Jesus proclaimed that he was the light of the world, he thus announced himself as the only source for salvation. Jesus is the only true Savior. The Bible also uses light to symbolize God's direction. God had led his people by a pillar of fire at night during their wilderness wanderings. Appropriately, this event had just been commemorated through the festival of tabernacles during the time Jesus made this temple visit. Think about the nature of Jesus' claim in a agrarian society. During the time before electricity, when light was more difficult to create and more precious to maintain, Jesus declared himself to be the light. Jesus identified himself as the primary source for a fundamental need among humanity. Jesus also followed his assertion with a promise. 
anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus promised we would never be in darkness. Okay, so we saw a mention there of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a, a full Jewish festival, and it commemorated the wilderness wanderings of Israel, also called the Festival of Boots, or also called the Ingathering. So there are a couple of names for it, like we have for many festivals today. Some call it one thing, some call it the other. Uh, the feast began with a cessation of regular activities. Temporary shelters were built for the people to occupy during the festival, and we see a... Um, a whole description of this in the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 23, uh, when God was giving uh, the children of Israel instructions for all of these festivals and so on and so forth. So we have a full description over there in Leviticus chapter 23. Celebrants have reflected on divine blessings during the year and the bounty of the harvest, and they praised God and they worshiped Him for what they were able to uh, get from the ground as a result of the fruit of their labors. Another feature of the Feast of Tabernacles was a dramatic ceremony of lights. Big feature. Four great lamps were perched high in the temple courts, tall enough to rise above all of the temple walls to make sure that everybody could see them. The lamps were filled with many gallons of oil. So these were huge lamps, and so they took gallons and gallons of oil to fill them. Priests would light the cloth wickets in the lamps, and uh, the tremendous light generated from these huge golden lamps and emanating from the temple complex <coughs> out to the city was said to light up all the courtyards of Jerusalem. So it was like a great big huge globe, as it were. Celebrants would dance beneath the lamps, carrying flaming torches and singing songs. Levites standing on the 15 steps leading down to the court of Israel, to the court of the women, played harps, lyres, and cymbals, and all kinds of instruments, musical instruments. So we see the, the, the preeminence of lights uh, here. So the people had a good idea from history uh, what this light was all about that Jesus was talking about. And uh, they could reflect on it because it was a time when there was no electricity as we know it today. And so they would reflect back on the, that festival and the, the specific uh, event of the lights. Question number three on page 24. What does this I am statement teach us about Jesus' nature and character? What does the I am statement? That he was God. That he was God. Okay. Anybody else? The source of light. Okay, another alternate question. How has Jesus' light been, been instrumental throughout history? How has he been light throughout history to us? What impact has he made on our lives as light? He is the one who saves. He's the one who saves, okay. Um, well, to be with him one day in heaven, I guess. Okay. Okay. How has Jesus been the light throughout history? He makes um, people like um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who used God's word to speak to injustice and prejudice, and was able to show people clearly um, what was wrong and what was right. Uh, and the word was, was huge for that. Okay. 
So he used Jesus and I as an example for his movement. The Lord shone light on Okay. Right, okay. So Jesus is a good example to use in terms of shedding light on darkness or dark elements in our world today. Okay. Notice on page 25, we see again the importance of turning to Jesus alone when we look for guidance and light. Let's look at the first paragraph on page 25. It's easy for people to become enamored with what appear to be other sources of light. Worldly wisdom, media, information, popular philosophies, and so on. All of these sparkle and shine to get our attention, but ultimately they lead down dark trails of frustration and desperation. Trust Jesus as the light, your savior and your guide. There are a lot of things. Remember now, Satan is the master counterfeiter, okay, master deceptor. And so he's going to create all kinds of things that look like the genuine thing. And uh, among those things are what has been mentioned here in this passage, media, wisdom, media information, popular philosophies, and there are many people who are following those. Uh, but they all are finding out sooner or later that they lead to what has been described here as frustration, dark trails, desperation. And they all come to the realization at some point or another, after all has failed, that Jesus truly is the only light and our source and our guide. Okay, after declaring himself to be the light of the world, Jesus ran into some sharp criticism from the Pharisees regarding the testimony that he communicated. Imagine you are called as a witness to testify about who Jesus is based on your personal experience with him. How would you respond? This is a testimony activity on page 25. How would you respond? Use the space below to record your answer in your, your answer in a way comfortable for you. Tell a story, make a list, sketch a picture, and so on. Anybody did any of that, did that, did that activity? Nobody did it? Okay, we want to remind you now, that's the reason why you got to split your study guides. Take some time during the course of the week, go through your study guide, and do the activities. We want to hear what you came up with when you come to class. Okay, so let's remember to do that, as well as the questions. Uh, be sure to answer the questions to the best of your ability so that you can share your answer with the rest of the class and give us some uh, idea of what you're thinking. But that's what the activity is all about for you. Okay, again, let's look at another passage. John, 13, John, John chapter 8, verse 13 to 15, page 23. Someone read the verses. She said, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, nobody will. To 15. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. 
I judge no one. Okay, so we see the, the definition of testimony there. Uh, verse 13, in response to Jesus' proclamation regarding himself, the Pharisees accused him of unsubstantiated testimony. And they were always accusing him of something. And so here in this case, they were accusing him again, this time of unsubstantiated testimony, which the law did not allow. Just like in our day to day, when you go to a court, they expect you to tell the truth and have testimony to the sound and truth. Hence, they assisted him, they, they insisted to him that your testimony is not valid. The law did not demand multiple witnesses for a serious case. Uh, according to Numbers chapter 23, and also Deuteronomy chapter 17, and also chapter 19, uh, we'll see that, which later Jewish tradition extended to other cases as well. And so they were looking back on the Old Testament, and uh, they were using that to, to accuse Jesus of, of unsubstantiated testimony. The requirement for a matter to be verified by more than one witness prevented a single disgruntled individual from being able to create legal problems for another. Okay, one person can come up and says, yeah, I saw him did that, and uh, that's the only person who did it. Now that person may have had have a, a, a grief with that person, and so they come up with a false testimony that would cause that person to get in trouble. So the law required that they had to be multiple witnesses. And so they're saying that Jesus' question uh, testimony is unsubstantiated because he's the only witness. We see this law in effect during the Sanhedrin trial of Jesus as the religious leaders produced many witnesses against Jesus. But the testimony of the various false witnesses did not agree with one another. They didn't come together. Say, so, okay, this is what we're going to say. This is how we're going to lie on him. They just called, the, the, the religious just called this, the, these group of people and said, I want you to give a testimony, you give a false. They never told them what to say. Okay, and so all the testimonies didn't agree. Jesus' opponents may have been trying to throw his own words back at him. Earlier, Jesus had said that if he testified against about himself, then his testimony was not valid, John 5, 30, 31. Even then, however, Jesus had pointed out that his words about himself were corroborated by his mighty works or his supernatural works. The testimony of John the Baptist and that of the Father himself. So Jesus had three testimonies that corroborated his case. The works that he did, the supernatural miracles that he performed, John the Baptist who spoke of him and also the Father himself. His words had not stood by themselves. So he was not just a single person testifying of himself. There were others. And then we look at verse 14. Jesus responded to the present charge in a manner consistent with his earlier assertion that the Father bore witness to the validity of all of his words. Notice he said, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is valid. Jesus' answer is true, but could not be understood without faith in him. They had to trust him to be able to understand what he was saying. Jesus asserted, I know where I came from, that is, from heaven. Therefore, he has the Father's testimony. The Heavenly Father's testimony is on his side. That's why he talks about where he came from. Such testimony would be de facto both 
fulfill and trump the requirement of the law or tradition for multiple witnesses. So Jesus was, he stood out among those and uh, his testimony was adequate from God's standpoint. However, Jesus immediately acknowledged that this answer would not satisfy his opponents. Nothing he ever said satisfied them. They always came up with something else since they did not believe him anyway. And thus don't know where, he says, you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. And so these, these religious leaders refused to recognize and acknowledge Jesus' identity as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the one sent from God. And so they failed to understand that he had come from God and would be returning to God. And so the Father's testimony stood out, but their eyes were blinded and they could not see. Let's look at the paragraphs on page 26. Before we go to your brother, mm. isn't it strange how they prefer scriptures to condemn him? But to prevent scriptures to confirm that he's the Son of God. And that's the same thing the devil does. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness? The devil quoted a lot of scriptures. And people continue to do that. Okay, they use script. They figure if they can quote scripture, then they could sound like they're valid. Okay, so remember now the devil is a is one who knows the Bible from cover to cover. And there are many people who are being deceived today because people come to them with scriptures, but those scriptures are taken out of context. But they believe they are in context. Okay, so don't let the, the devil swing us with scripture. Okay, remember who he was before he fell. Remember who he was, right? Who was he? What did he do? Praise and worship. And where do you find more scriptures than anywhere else? In praise and worship. Okay, so he's fully adequate to be able to quote scripture. And he knows how to quote it out of context so he can throw you off. Or what we say today, swing you. Alright? Okay, uh, page 26. Someone read the paragraphs there, please. It's a long one. The Pharisees reacted negatively to Jesus' assertion that he was the light of the world. Their objection was based on the law. You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. This, however, was not the first time Jesus had heard this accusation, and he previously cited four witnesses in his defense. John the Baptist, his works, his father, and scripture. Jesus didn't disagree that valid testimony requires corroboration. <laughs> Well, that's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's right. Cooperation, yeah, that's right. Cooperation? Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, he produced other witnesses to back up his declaration. The problem was the Pharisees' determination to ignore any information that contradicted their foregone conclusion that Jesus was a fraud. They weren't about to be confused by the facts. Many religious people today have made up their minds about the constitute about what constitutes spiritual truth. 
even when it contradicts the clear teaching of scripture. Unbelievers make the same mistake by trusting in their reason, man-made philosophies, or humanistic education rather than in God's word. No matter how unreasonable their positions may be, both groups hold fast to what they believe rather than submit to Jesus and biblical truth. Jesus knew the truth, and he knew his testimony was valid. My testimony is valid because I know where I came from and where I am going. He appealed to his origin and his destination as proof of his deity. He had come from his father and would soon return. The Pharisees' problem was their humanistic worldview. Jesus said, you judge by human standards. They started with themselves and incorporated God into their lives wherever they could. Jesus calls us to start with God as our Father and adjust our lives accordingly. He must be at the center of our lives with everything else ordered around him. Okay, thank you. Now notice the third uh, paragraph. Many religious leaders today have made up their minds about what constitutes spiritual truth. They have already done that. The scriptures is totally irrelevant as far as they're concerned. Even when it contradicts the clear teaching of scripture. Unbelievers make the same mistake by trusting in their their reason, man-made philosophies and humanistic education rather than in God's word. No matter how unreasonable their positions may be, both groups hold fast to what they believe rather than submit to Jesus and biblical truth. And that's why we have so much confusion in the world today. And that's why we have so many little churches or even big ones popping up all over the place because people are not willing to follow God's word and to hold fast to it. Question number four, page 26. What are some reasons people give today for rejecting God's word as truth? Well, what are some of the reasons you've heard? What I hear mostly is because they say they were written by man. Okay. Okay. So you had the same thing. Unbelief. Unbelief. Okay. What else do we hear? I hear a lot that um, people that profess Christianity don't fall in themselves as really hypocrisy that drives them. Okay. A lot of hypocrisy. Right. I ran into a lady, I was doing some witnessing in Savannah, Georgia one time, house to house. And this young lady said, well, I, I'm not interested in becoming a Christian because Christians, the Christians that I know are not living like Christians anyway. You know, so you run into that, that brick wall all the time. You know, people look at the lives of other believers, other persons who call themselves Christians, and they don't see any difference from the unsaved person. Okay. Two, it are work with youth. Sometimes they think it's just do's and don'ts, or it seems too strict. They want to live their lives, have their own experiences, and they feel like scripture makes everything you know, experience prohibitive. They want to experience things, and the Bible says, no, no, no. Okay, and then, then there are those who say it's out of date, it's archaic, it's not relevant for today. And I even hear that on some of the radio talk, talk shows. Right there, uh, 
Yeah, and that day, uh, yeah, the disciples had had issues with that too. This is where it comes right back again. Once you know the word, you can stand. So I know. So it comes right back over and over. The word is the answer. If you do not come up the word, you will always be in unbelief. This is the disciples. Jesus, he said, I'm going to eat all of them. I'm going to rise. He said, I'm going to be back. They still believe it. And yeah. they saw everything. They touched it. They gave it. So. Yep. And we have the same thing today. Sorry. Just again, the talk of the youth, I find they have so many things competing for their attention. There's a lot of messages in media. And there are a lot of, we know, false promises of gratification and success and status. And discipleship, truly following Christ, calls you to self denial. And that's not appealing to people who want to gather and gain an experience and be um, given credit for that. Yeah, so, and do their own thing. Okay, very good. Um, yeah, the disciples, they walked with Jesus, they lived with him, they saw him do all the miracles, they were witnesses for his hand. But remember when he did the, when they woke him up on the boat and said they're going to die because of the storm? And he calmed the storm and, they, and, they, and their response was, who is this guy? <laughs> They'd been with him all the time. And they'd seen him do all this stuff and he comes to see him. And they, who in the world is this guy? We thought we knew him. Brother Randy, you also have to go back with the disciples. Jesus knew from the very beginning who was the believers and who was not the believers. Mm -hmm. But then again, he didn't, he didn't uh, sort of that out. He got his resurrection sorted out. Mm -hmm. so you know what right. he said, my Lord and my God. Mm -hmm. So therefore, he made a better missionary out of Thomas. They made a guy who really... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good point. All right, let's look at the other passages. Uh, page 16 to 19. Uh, um, verses 16 to 19. Page 23. And if I do judge, my judgment is true. Because I am not alone. But I and the Father sent me Judge together. Even in your law, it is written that the witness of two men is not. You say something? Uh, 19. Oh. I am the one who testifies about myself. And the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they ask him. Where is your father? You know neither me nor my father, Jesus asked. If you know me, you would also know my father. Okay. Uh, when you see verse 17 and 18, Jesus offered a direct challenge to the faith of the Pharisees with the words, phrase, in your law. So he brought that to the, the attention. The pronoun choices catches our attention in your law or your law. Not our law or the law. The expression your law 
could be read as the law of Moses itself, which would sound like a rejection of the law of Moses. That seems highly unlikely given emphasis in other Gospels and New Testament writers. Another possibility could be an allusion to the oral law of the Pharisees that elevated some traditions to the level of authority of the law of Moses itself. And so your law, that phrase your law, could be either the law of Moses as mishandled by the Pharisees or their own special oral traditions which considered at the same level of the law of Moses. And so there's a lot, there was a, there, there's a debate there in terms of what they were saying when they talked about their law. Okay, let's look at the, uh, some of, let's, let's look at the paragraphs on page 27. Okay, I'll read this time. Jesus came to extend salvation, not condemn, condemnation to all people. He came as light to overcome darkness, not as a judge to condemn darkness. He came as an exclusive savior, and all people will be judged based on their choices about him. Continuing his testimony, Jesus used an argument based on the law, the Pharisees' ultimate source of authority. Even in your law it is written that the witness of two men is valid, he says in verse 17. This was based on Old Testament passages which required at least two credible witnesses to determine guilt in a legal proceeding, according to Deuteronomy 17, chapter 17 and chapter 19. Jesus declared himself to be true because they were based on, one, on the testimony of two witnesses, himself and his father. These two witnesses are the pinnacle of anyone who might be called in any judicial proceeding. Jesus concluded his challenge with his most pointed rebuke. You know neither me nor my father. Verse 19. Imagine how stunning these words must have sounded to the arrogant Pharisees who paraded themselves as public models of religious devotion. They claimed to know God. In fact, they claimed to know more about God than anyone else. Yet Jesus pronounced them to be illegitimate usurpers with no genuine relationship with the Father. We must not make this same mistake. Jesus is the light of the world and God the Father is his corroborating witness. Therefore, live your life under his authority in submission to his instructions. A couple of things come out of that, uh, those paragraphs that we need to highlight and point out. The first one is, Jesus came to extend salvation, not condemnation. When we look at what people are saying today about Jesus and how, he, how they ought to live their lives in, in accordance with the teachings of Scripture, many people see him as coming to condemn them because they won't let him, he won't let them do whatever they feel like doing. As Nadine mentioned about the young people that she works with. Okay, so he came as light to overcome darkness, not as a judge to condemn darkness. The second thing that stands out is, continuing his testimony, Jesus used an argument based on the law, the Pharisees' ultimate source of authority. Even in your law it is written that the, witnesses, the witness of two men is valid, says in verse 17. And then the third thing that we notice is, 
Jesus concluded his challenge with his most pointed rebuke. You know neither me nor my father. Verse 19. And then the fourth thing is finally, you must not make this same mistake. And it's talking to us now. Jesus is the light of the world and God the Father is his corroborating witness. Therefore, live your lives under his authority in submission to his instructions. Question number five on page 27. What decision must we make in order to follow Jesus' arguments and directions? Or, put another way, how has Jesus been the light in your life? We saw what the, the Pharisees confronted, right? So the question is, what decisions we need to make in our lives today to follow Jesus' judgments and directions? Hate sin. Hate sin. Okay. That's a good one. Okay. Agree to his word. Read his word. Okay. Just remember that two ways of looking at it. Is that when you speak, just imagine Jesus is just on the other side of the door listening to you. And when you get through, imagine he opening the door and looking directly into your eyes. Mm. That's the way I would. I can't say that I live my life because I'm no man. But the principal part is that that is basically the principle of my life. Okay. Good point. And I'm sure we've all been in that experience at some point where you were on the side of the door and you heard someone talking about you. And you opened the door and you looked the person right in there and they realized that you heard they, they realized that you heard what they said. And uh, you see the look in their eyes. Okay, that's a good point for the cliff. So to follow Jesus means to come to him in repentance, to trust him as Lord and Savior, and then to commit one's whole life, not part of it, not passes of it, but one's whole life to him. And those who do this have guidance in life and clear and bright hope beyond the grave. Okay, back to the point. The point is Jesus is a light who reveals the way we should live. That's the whole point of the lesson. So let's look at how we apply this today as we go forth uh, during the course of the week. What do we take out of this lesson to apply to our lives individually? Three things. Since Jesus is the light of the world, page 28, since Jesus is the light of the world, how will the truth influence your actions and attitudes this week? Consider taking one of the following steps in response. One, identify. Seek an area of your life in which you are following sources of light other than Christ. Take action to move away from those sources and follow Christ. First action we can do during the course of the week in response to this lesson today. The second thing is submit. Begin each day this week by verbally submitting yourself to God. Proclaim your desire to walk only in the direction revealed by the light of Christ and continually pray for guidance throughout the day. Second thing we can do. And the third thing we can do is study. 
references, and Brenda mentioned this already. Read a book on Christian overviews such as Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. If possible, study this book with someone else and discuss what it teaches about following the light and direction of Jesus. So three things we can do in response to the lesson today. Identify, submit, and study. Okay, as we wrap up, notice there will be times when we find yourself in darkness. Our world is filled with it, after all. But you never have to be alone in that darkness. When you follow Jesus, you will always be able to find the light. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you today for once again reminding us of what you are as the light of the world and how you are to be that light for us to guide us in all aspects of every facet of our lives. We pray, Lord, that we may take note of those things that stood out in our minds today that you pointed out specifically by your Holy Spirit individually and personally to each of us as you spoke to us collectively today. Pray, O oh Lord, that we may be obedient, that we may be trusting, and that you would be glorified. Bless us with your benediction as we leave here today. We pray, Father, for the service to follow. Pray for Pastor Elliot as he brings the word, and we pray for those who will be ministering otherwise in music and in spoken word as well. We pray, O oh Lord, that you might be glorified and honored. For this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and make you a blessing as you go.